So this has been a long time coming, uh, you know, really with the, the general mood over the last year. But I think certainly considering recent events, I feel like it's finally time to talk false flags. Whether, you know, we're talking about the deep state or radical political factions, whether we're talking about, you know, American gladio strategy of tension style stochastic violence designed to gnaw away at the social fabric or more targeted attacks designed to bring about a specific political end. And that's where I want to start with that kind of Reichstag fire like scenario. You know, when something suspicious like this goes down, the first thing to ask is, Qui bono? Who benefits? <laughs> I think you all know what recent event I'm talking about. There's been a lot of speculation, uh, a lot of coincidences and eerie details. So I want to ask, Qui bono, who benefits from the car on pedestrian attempted hit and run at the market yesterday? <laughs> uh, seems pretty clear to me, you know, whether this was a little stage play put on by crisis actors or a truly violent false flag attack on an innocent pedestrian. I think we know that getting cars out of the market has long been a cause celeb in this town for the radical urbanists. The man, the man with the hammer was Doug Trump. <laughs> uh i mean look may, did they did uh trump and company decide to finally like take action you know to get in the streets get the goods in a way that all their articles oh, for all these years never could you know we've seen mm -hmm. you know there's been a recent push on this not just in the urbanist but even into in the seattle times has had uh, in the last two weeks, uh, a few articles uh, bemoaning the insanity of the city's inability to recognize uh, the need to get cars out of the market like it's the only thing wrong in town. What do you what do you guys think? Uh, Rich Smith, associate editor of The Stranger. Do you endorse <laughs> this um, theory of mine? I, I do. I do. Because of something you won't read in the you won't. Well, you'll read in the police report. The, the part that's not redacted is that they left the urbanist calling card, which is a photograph of a row house along with some copy <laughs> that says legalize this on every corner in the street, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of aesthetic judgments, um, you know, positive aesthetic judgments on the way the row houses look as well. So yeah. that was something I the heard. That's what I heard. Up. Well, I think if you, if you look at how the actors in the incident came together and then dispersed so quickly in one of the busiest areas of the city, I mean, it's the kind of operation that can only be carried out with such precision via bicycle. And <laughs> who do we know loves bicycles? All right. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the check the Masonic Lodges. Welcome back to Mechanical Freak. The podcast that I was not on for two whole weeks while I was looking for apartments in the Big Apple, the Dundada. Greg is in and out. And with <laughs> us today, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Rich Smith, associate editor of The Stranger. Rich, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Good. Yeah, good. Thanks for being here. And we're here, of course, with Brian as well. Brian, how you feeling? I'm doing great. And uh, maybe Greg. <laughs> and Greg, Greg, um, you're back, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm great. 
Uh, Greg, did we already talk about you getting an apartment finally? Yeah, so I um, you know, I was uh, off of the podcast for two weeks because I was in apartment hell, um, touring apartments every day, talking to leasing agents, having maybe an emotional breakdown over the prospect of like never being able to get an apartment in the city because it's just like it's snatched up so much. Truly a nightmare. Um, don't wish it upon anyone except for maybe like five people. <laughs> um, and I signed a lease today. Nice. And it is a really great place. Super excited. I'm going to be moving soon. So um, I'm back, baby. Well, we're glad to have you back. Glad you've got a home. Um, I would wish it on landlords. I would wish not uh, being able to find a home on landlords. Yeah, you know, when my landlord raises the rent by $1,200, you know, it's just like things like go into perspective a little bit like yeah that you start reading a lot about chinese history i start picking up books that are red <laughs> and are kind of small uh-huh. i can't i can't believe you guys are talking about mothers and father landlords like this who have to split their pills <laughs> these mother and father landlords who split their pills because they're being so generous uh with how yeah. low they're keeping their rent but you know they've got to pay stuff too like the mortgage uh cheap labor and taxes yeah taxes mm-hmm. you know sure you know the property makes literally one hundred fifty thousand dollars every year without them doing anything but they can't. That's not liquid. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, right. You're That's why you don't consider you entitled millennials. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and then one thing we should consider, Rich, though, is uh, we are talking about the landlords of New York City and not the fine landlords of Seattle, which, You're of right. course, would never think to engage in such petty harassment and activities against their uh, their tenants, I'm yeah, sure. You're talking about the only naturally occurring affordable housing still in the rental market, mother and father yeah. landlords. <laughs> you better get down on your knees, you know, and thank them for still, because they'll leave, you know. and yep. um, Yeah, they don't have to be doing this. Yeah. They don't have to be housing providers. That's yeah. <laughs> proprietors <laughs> yeah uh let's be inclusive in our language everybody uh well as you may have heard everybody we've got rich smith uh associate editor from the stranger welcome back to the show rich smith how you doing thanks for having me i'm doing good I'm doing good I'm better now Hell yeah, yeah. Good. um love to hear it so you know just to start off uh the, f- the first time we had you on now years ago was uh on the boat to talk about uh uncle howard's uh, n- nascent run for president. Um, you had read his book. You'd gone to see him speak. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're still with him. I hear <laughs> <laughs> from, from the ground up. Yeah, from the ground you're, up. You're there. Day one. Day one. Yeah, person uh, of beans. <laughs> you remember you remember them the the euphemisms as long as we're talking about housing providers we might as well talk about persons of means uh-huh. i mean that was a classic yeah. okay. i'll never forget that well, well he's hatred. my favorite person of beans uh <laughs> so but he's back in the news so he was gone like he obviously he he left uh starbucks you know officially i not you know he was still on the board but he he left as ceo Presumably, you know, in anticipation of becoming president of the United States, um, uh, which is beautiful. But now Starbucks in crisis, hundreds of stores uh, filing to unionize, organizing drives across the country right here in hometown of Starbucks, 
uh, a dozen stores already filing victories already on the board. And so they brought Howard back uh, even before officially bringing him back as CEO. They brought him to talk to the first you know, store in Buffalo. Um, they flew him and they're like, this is OK. This is big. We get it. Shit's changing. You know, uh, worker consciousness is rising. Our our partners hate us and their jobs. What we need is Howard Schultz. And I mean, I just want to know if you've been following Howard's Starbucks Storytime Roadshow. And, you know, if you have any thoughts on what he's bringing to the table in this fight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously they brought him in. They brought in the old general who had uh, developed a... Uh, a positive and enduring relationship with the partners before they brought, <laughs> before they brought Kevin on, you know, and mm-hmm. so they were looking to rekindle a little of that magic. I don't know how successful he's been, you know, as a as a kind of um, as a, a Starbucks profit or or a, a, you know anti union or a, I don't know, as a union buster. I don't know how uh, how good he's been because you know there's been a number of widely publicized. Uh, town hall gaffes, uh, including one where he he broke the Godwin rule, right? right? The, <laughs> this, he, he, he compared the, the benefits that they offer at Starbucks to um, the generosity of Holocaust. <laughs> Not even yeah. people in the camps in Auschwitz um, being forced to share blankets. Uh, yeah. Between, I know, I you mean, know, one blanket between five people. Is it really like Godwin's law, if you're saying, hey, working at Starbucks is kind of like uh, pramming <laughs> on to a boxcar heading east, you know, like. <laughs> I know. I, I think I think it was a little too on the on the on the nose. Was, I'm like, I, I think that you don't want to be making. <laughs> he's trying to describe generosity, but he's just accurately describing Starbucks's <laughs> benefits as the equivalent of one blanket between five people uh, about to be shoved in an oven. So, yeah. Uh, look, yeah. look everybody, love- it's not Treblinka, but we're trying. <laughs> Um, you know what i love about that is that happened the union successfully uh you know won their election there and then they brought him the board brought him back as ceo Mm -hmm. uh so i i think it's it bodes well for um uh organizing the working class (laughs) or at least baristas well, he pissed off the investors by, you know, uh, canceling the buyback uh, uh, strategy that they had. It's going to um, plow all that money uh, into R&D, you know, and it benefits. <laughs> uh, he was for... listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, he was like, listening yeah, to our Boeing episode. He's, he's, yeah. he's reading Day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, he's reading. He's yeah. like, he's tuning in. He's like, oh, man, I don't want what happened to Boeing to happen to us. Like... You know, well, he's looking he looked at these ever, union drives he and he's thinking Starbucks like, that's Max. our plane trot. That's our plane crash. You know, no, he said he looked at the, their new product, the Starbucks Max, and he was like, we got, no, we can't go with this. We got to get rid of it. <laughs> Grande non-fat extra hot Max. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I assume that he's going to like give them some benefit, like Verizon. You know, after those two stores in uh, in Everett and I think Shoreline or somewhere, uh, they did that. Uh, they unionized, you know, small yeah, group of, Verizon, of, yeah. of workers, and then the next day, Verizon 
hiked uh, the the minimum wage at the stores to 20 bucks an hour or something in response. You know, they're trying to to cut off the momentum, cut off the energy. I don't know if they'll be successful because I think it's too popular, too fun. Uh, and it's just fun. People forget that like, so, no, fuck this, fuck the man. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, these people are exploiting uh, our labor and uh, it turns out all we got to do is get together and, uh, and fight for a union. Getting a contract will be another thing, but you know, yeah. uh, you know, this, uh, this but part honestly, is good and fun. Yeah. I mean, at, at a certain point, like, you know, contract or whatever it like, it really is the comrades you made along the way like yeah. <laughs> everyone it seems so obvious now that like retail um and serve you know service jobs are the uh, are an obvious place to organize especially at a big company like starbucks it's like everyone hates their job everyone hates their boss everyone likes the people they actually work with uh yeah it's a it's a natural to just uh to be a part of something exciting and you know, with the small possibility of improving your life in the end, but like, um, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and there's room to grow, you know, there's stuff to, and, oh, yeah. the, and the companies that they're uh, running against are super popular. It's not like, um, yeah, <laughs> I, never mind. I'm not going to get into to building the recent building trades, um, uh, uh, contract negotiations, but it is different when you're like, uh, Fifty nine dollars an hour isn't enough for what <laughs> it's yeah, like. Yeah. It's like we want we want to get them there. You know that's the that's that's where the barista Starbucks barista needs to be. You know where the where the concrete drivers are now and the construction workers mm -hmm. are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And I think everyone. Yeah, it's a popular message to their Starbucks customers to everyone in in this city and everyone across the country. Like, yeah, baristas should stand up and organize for themselves. Yeah, it's been very heartening to see across the country. Uh, but there's been another development regionally that's been heartening to see, which is the rise of independent, no-nonsense journalism. And uh, <laughs> Rich, uh, from your completely unindependent perch at the uh, MarxistStranger.com, for communist, um, you've been covering <laughs> stranger this. dot communist. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we like to collect characters on this show, and yeah. uh, you've been covering a new character who's just entered our universe, and we really want you to introduce him to our fans, which is a man named Jonathan Cho, and maybe you can explain. Uh, he's been up to some hijinks. Maybe you could uh, fill us in on what hijinks he's been up to lately. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Cho, uh, you know, broadcast journalist, uh, recently uh, working for uh, Como on the uh, um, Project Seattle um, beat, which, uh, as far as anybody could tell, was just uh, pointing his iPhone at uh, random poor people living in tents on Third Avenue and then snitch tagging the mayor, Journalism. asking him, yeah, that's right, <laughs> asking the mayor what he plans to do about these criminals and then, um, you know, uh, pointing to nearby cops uh, and uh, asking them to please you know, <clears throat> do something about this open air drug market uh, or this, you know, this uh, this. Fencing uh, uh, of, of of stolen uh, baby formula and Tide and things like this on the on the streets. <laughs> anyway, he was doing that kind of uh, journalism um, on a social media account. Um, 
uh, on his off hours, really, at, at Como. Um, and uh, as he was doing that in March, he started getting a little flack from the from the from the top brass, or at least from the news director. Um, there was a couple of emails that said, "Hey, you know, don't make yourself part of the story." Um, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, hey, we've got objectivity standards here at, at Como. You know, uh, <laughs> who knew, right? Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> So chill out, you know, on the non-objective stuff. And then um, and then Jonathan Cho, one weekend in March on a Saturday, decided on his own volition, according to everybody involved, to uh, travel down to Olympia uh, to cover a Proud Boy march. They were mad that a number of their members had been introduced to the prison system and how shitty that is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they're abolitionists now. Yeah. They're now abolitionists. They are. Very cool. They're close. They're close. I think that they, you know, a couple of more uh, of their dudes in solitary confinement, and I think we could get a little bit of a coalition going, honestly. <laughs> but uh, they were there to protest the uh, bad uh, conditions of their uh, of Proud Boy prisoners, you know, because if you get, you know, you get thrown in the slammer in D.C., if it's above, you know, it's for if it's for a case that's above uh, 365 days, that's federal. You know, they don't have this fucking fit like, you know, they, they've got a little bit of a different system. In any event, they were there to complain about their boys in the prison. And uh, Jonathan Cho followed them as he had been doing with the homeless people with taking little photos and videos on his iPhone. Uh, he at the end of uh, their unremarkable march remarkable and small i should say posted a a little montage that featured a um what i would describe as like a nazi theme song or something it was a, a white nationalist uh or a, a ethno nationalist uh, uh a group called the moribund or something or the manabund some weird german word and uh, some weird, sad, young white man uh, screaming about wanting a home again. You know, one of these. Uh, <laughs> some Midwest yeah. emo. Some Midwest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he was picked up by Saddle Creek Records um, later. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Anyway, he used a, a fucking random white nationalist theme song that he that he heard um, uh, amplified through the speakers um, uh, of the Proud Boys. That the Proud Boys had been using as an anthem at their rallies recently uh, as the soundtrack to this montage that was very flattering of the Proud Boys. This sparked uh, an online um, pushback. Uh, people started calling into uh, Como and Sinclair complaining. Um, these complaints, plus you know the previous um, reprimands from uh, uh, upper management, led to uh, uh, Jonathan Cho getting fired uh, from uh, Como. So now he's just freelancing. He's no longer, as his Twitter profile says, uh, like what Como journalist Jonathan Cho, he's just mm -hmm. now journalist Jonathan Cho uh, on Twitter, and he's uh, he's still at it, uh, pointing his uh, camera at uh, poor people and snitch tagging the mayor, asking when these poor people are going to be bonked over the head by a cop or uh, disappeared um, in some other way by the by the by a criminal justice mm -hmm. system. Yeah. So yeah. just you know to reiterate that the this the montage video he posted. <laughs> To give you just an idea of its character is like 
it's basically like uh, a Lenny Reifenstahl for like adults who were held back and never graduated from the Hitler youth. And <laughs> uh, and along with that, he tweet his caption for it um, was uh, that's a wrap. He'd been live tweeting the whole thing. Proud Boys and other marchers say they will stay on Capitol, on the Capitol campus in Olympia for a few more hours to mingle and answer questions if anyone is interested in learning more about their cause and mission. Which, <laughs> as you point out, which does sound like he's advertising for them. I mean, it's kind of, you have this, this weepy sort of uh, folk Nazi uh you know, ballad and like these, I mean, you called it uh, like a soft focus tribute, I think um, in your article or something. And it's hard not to like get the impression that he knew what he was doing here. Uh, You know, I think that it stems from, you know, and this is me going into commentary now, but you know, part of Jonathan Cho's stick is, you know, your stick is that he covers encampment sweeps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, Mm. I'm putting covers in in quotes Uh, at encampment sweeps. He's sweeps. He's met by uh, mutual aid workers who try to help, you know, people, you know, homeless people, uh, not get all of their shit thrown away by the uh-huh. parks department. These mutual aid activists do not like Jonathan Cho. You know they're anti-fascist, so they'll do they'll 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 try to block his camera. They'll yell at him. They'll tell him to fuck off or whatever. This happens to Jonathan Cho all the time whenever he's uh, out there doing his camera thing. Mm-hmm. And so he takes this personally, you know. And he was also covering Chop in the protest. You know, Cho lands in Seattle April 2020. He yeah, does not yeah. know this town like outside of 2020 protests outside of the pandemic or whatever this man thinks that you know he you know there is a dedicated group of uh, uh young people wearing black block who are just trying to fuck with him constantly and he thinks that this is a great injustice and that and the fact that nobody is reporting on this um uh is um you know it's <laughs> uh, people need to know, you know, everyone in Seattle needs to know. Not like we've, you know, forget the fact that we've had a May Day here ever first, you know, since forever. <laughs> the, you know, the Nike store has to, you know, put up their, you know, shit every, you know, the plywood every year because they know that their windows are going to get smashed. It's routine. Like this is a common sort of small group of people who are around. Anyway, he feels, per, per, you know, particularly um, attacked by this group, personally attacked by this group. And so, he sees an opportunity to both sides it. Um, mm. And he goes oh, yeah. and sees the proud boys. Uh, they get yelled at, but they don't yell at him. In fact, they're nice to him. You know, they say that, you know, they don't try to knock away his uh, video camera. They don't mind, you know, they treated him really nicely. And so at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of a long coverage, because it was different from the way that the far left activists treated it, it fell into this fucking stupid, like ABC kids block. Like, well, this is how the far left acted. This is how the far right mm. act. And so, the far right, maybe the far, maybe the Proud Boys are kind of nicer than everyone says they are. So, you know, look, this particular time they were nice to me and now they're doing an ice cream social after a little protest in Olympia. Why don't you come ask questions? Yeah. So it, it's just sort of like, yeah, it makes sense if everything is personal and you just see it as a kind of reaction to that. Um, yeah. And, yeah. That's how and I see it. There's just no context to any anything. There's no 
political context. There's no history. There's no economic system. There's no, I mean, you, you of, you know, I'm sure it was very easy for you to find relevant links to drop in your articles of uh, various su- sources to cite, like the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, et cetera, on, you know, relevant like research and summaries of how the Proud Boys are, uh, you know, cons- are a hate group that they've done various uh, awful things and crimes. And, uh, you know, they're, I, th- you might, I think, uh, you know, in Canada considered like a terrorist organization. Like that's right. Well, and, and he thought that they were go and they're brawlers famously. They, they yes. try to pick fight mm-hmm. with Antifa. And so he was trying to go down there, assuming you know, and last time there was there somebody uh uh shot somebody. I think an, mm-hmm. an anti fascist shot somebody or something. And so he wanted to go down there and basically catch that violence because he assumed that violence would uh would happen again. And so, you know, he's just trying to do he was he was trying to catch Antifa behaving badly, uh, and uh, and he just kind of got like a sad, pathetic uh, group of uh, yeah. If you're in Canada, terrorist organization marching around complaining about the state of the prison system, and and I would have been much more easier. Yeah, it would have been much more interesting piece. You know, like wait, hold on, what are you actually complaining about? Like, oh, the insurrectionists are not liking their time in prison? What's wrong with their time in prison? Like, didn't they yeah. break a law? Like, shouldn't they be in jail? Like, I don't know, you'd assume yeah. that, like, you know, the cops and courts reporter at Como would be, uh, you know, concerned that these people were little abolitionists themselves, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, no, because they actually don't have the, uh, the, you know, uh, fossilized uh, uh, principles that they claim that they uh, have. And it all arrives out of personal grievance. Uh, it came out this way. Yeah. So, okay. So your, your take is, it's not that he is some kind of thinks of himself as some kind of crypto Nazi and wanted to be cute uh, by like advertising for them. And thus, I mean, we could, if that's what we thought, we could maybe speculate he was trying to get himself fired. Maybe we're not going that far in the case of Jonathan Cho. It's just that he's his idea of journalism like doesn't include like uh, any kind of like analysis outside of like how it makes him feel in any given moment that he's reporting. That's right. Well, take for example the homelessness coverage. So, like the like. Um, to John, Jonathan Cho is a television reporter, and reporters yeah. are products of whatever medium that they're working in. And as we all know, television news is an absolute fucking scam. These people are as yeah. shallow as their reporting is. Jonathan Cho has six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock hour that he's got to hit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if a shooting happens downtown, he goes downtown, does a forty-five second piece on it. Here was the shooting. This is what the cops say has happened. Forty-five seconds are over. But now he's unsatisfied as a journalist. He's looking around and seeing all these tents. The shootings seem to be coming from the tents or around the tents. All the cops around him are saying these these people are using drugs, and it's all of the uh, uh, crime is about uh, all of the drugs that these people have, and it's all about the drug trade, and you know yada yada yada. And so, journalist Jonathan Cho, who is working in this like television broadcast news system that forces him to like pound out these 45 mm-hmm. second shallow fucking clips says like i want to be more than this i want to get to the like bottom of this i want to investigate what's going on i've only been in this city two years <laughs> so yeah. i don't know shit <laughs> and so i'm gonna 
look into these tents with my camera, interview these people, interview these cops, you know, give the people what they want. And he's getting positive feedback loop, you know, uh, uh, supercharged by Twitter's algorithm on, on you know, uh, on social media. And so he, he keeps doing it because he thinks it's working. So, I, I, yeah, I think that Jonathan Cho thinks he's doing serious accountability journalism. It's just instead of like um, holding the state accountable for like waste or whatever, he just thinks that he should he should be holding poor people accountable and, <laughs> and, and people who are arrested, you know, like, like his, his, like the person in his mind who he's serving is Tammy from Tacoma, who's 34, who's got two kids and half a dog or what, you know, whatever. And they want to know, like, you know, can I go downtown this weekend? You know? And like, so like his, he is accountable to Tammy and Tacoma and, uh, and uh, Tammy's scared of crime and uh, she wants to know that the schools are okay. And so if there's crime downtown, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to inflate that. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he says he's not a Nazi. I don't think, I don't think that he has any kind of mm, sophisticated worldview really at all. <laughs> he's uh, a I, uh, I think <laughs> he's, I, he's, 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 he's a, a reactionary. Well, and he's, he's like cops demands respect. Like he, yeah. he feels yeah. like it's very clear yes. that, um, that he is worked hard to be a journalist and he's, and he had, you know, as an Asian guy in journalism, especially broadcast journalism, he's taken his lumps and I'm sure it's been difficult for him. You know, he's had to deal with a lot of stereotypes and he's had to over, overcome them. Um, and so, uh, when when a fucking twenty year old in a, a a black hood and an umbrella says to stop doing journalism, the one true and good thing that's in the Constitution, the Constitution <laughs> says we can do it. That is like a fucking crazy personal offense to him, you know. And he, yeah. instead of being curious and asking them why they are mm-hmm. stopping him, asking them what's going on, why are you being mean to me, you know, and That's having a- an actual dialogue. He gets defensive, like a cop does. or and righteous. Yeah, and self-righteous yeah. and says, like, you know, we're, you know, and, and appeals to everybody else. It's much, it's much, <laughs> like, if he was like, these two or three Antifas are attacking me. Like they're being mean to me. Like that's not much of a, of a, that's kind of whiny. Right. But if he says like they're attacking a journalist, you know, like they're, they're attacking journalism, they're preventing me from getting the truth out, yada, yada. It's a wider appeal. And so it spawns more sympathy from the public. Well, It goes to what, you know, you saying like, yeah, there's been a May day every year and there was the WTO and there was, and, and yeah, frankly, the 2020, protests like if you had a uh, a keener uh mind and like uh an appetite for analyzing these things you you might see that this stuff happens and uh changes nothing in the power structure of the city or the country um and that you know uh these people aren't <laughs> really uh doing anything to you or anyone like well they're you, not calling the shots that's yeah for sure. exactly yeah. Yeah. Well, and I and I think Rich, you, you you bring up an important point about how he does journalism and how he pictures it, which I think speaks to the the conservative mind and sort of the American mind too, which is that for a guy like Cho, journalism isn't a craft, right? It's not like a, a practice that he engages in, right? Journalism is something inside of him. It's innate, right? He shows up, and because he did it, it's a journalism. Right. Well, like if I put my camera, it's a journalism because I was there and I did it. 
you know <laughs> there's no before or after there's just <laughs> me there you know? Yes, yes. Well, and I, I do. I mean, this is the this is why the res- the demands for respect thing is so funny. That, that is all journalism. Is. I mean, I, you know, like, in a sense, he he is right. Like it is. It's it's funny that he has like journalist Jonathan Cho. But one of the cool things about the profession, such as it is, is that anybody could be. I was a fucking poet before I started. <laughs> you know, <laughs> writing about politics in this town. You just pick up a phone and start writing, and you know, as long as you uh, uh, you know tell the truth and. Um, uh, and um, and reach an audience and serve an audience. You can you can do it. So I, I don't mind the kind of uh, democratic nature uh, of the craft, but I do mind getting too fucking up your own ass about it. Like you know, it's like <laughs> fucking chill out. We're not like line workers, you know, getting killed. You know, at uh, at super high rates. Every you know, it's not a that dangerous of a job, really. You know, so. Well. So, Jonathan, of course, now that he has uh, been canceled for truth, uh, he's joined a lot of illustrious other characters in the Mechanical Freak slash Seattle Sucks catalog, uh, such as Randy Cruz, Katie Aronsaw, Chris Rufo, Andy No, And, you know, they're all trying to create this new media career out of being, you know, quote, canceled. And I guess... Looking at Jonathan, and of course, having just been in this area for a while, Rich, um, what's wrong with this area of the country that we just seem to constantly be creating these right wing grifters? <laughs> like it's like a nonstop churn of them out of our soil. What's happening? What's wrong with us? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know if I have uh, I don't know if I have a theory for it. Um, uh, in each of those cases, it's a little bit different. You know, I think that Katie Herzog went the uh, the, like the Christopher Hitchens way, like the left lo- lost me, or, or in her mm-hmm. case, the queer, the, the queer community left her, and so she's there, you know, explaining the ways of God to man or whatever. Uh, and uh, from her um, and Jesse's uh, podcast, uh, but you know, I think it wasn't Washington and Oregon. They wanted it to be the original settlers wanted it to be like whites only or something like, you know, it, yeah. it, the people came out here yeah. to get away from black people and shit like, yeah. So like this is, this is a hotbed of reactionary, you know, the, the West in general also is super has a you know, hard on for property values, you know, very libertarian mindset. And so it kind of just has a, that, that ideological legacy. And I think people can feed off of that. And, you know, also I think that, uh, uh a lot of these ideas are extremely popular, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's, I don't buy the framework that they are right wing conservative fringe people. I think they're pretty middle of the road uh, standard conservatives. It's just that, you know, middle of the road standard yeah. conservatives are fucking crazy, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah. They, they're way to the right, you know, ideologically, yeah. you know, in, in general. And so um, it, part of it is just buying into, into, into their 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 framing of Seattle as a leftist uh, enclave or whatever, rather than what it is, which is a neoliberal 
uh, diamond, <laughs> you know, or I guess yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. emerald, you know, I mean, even our labor, like we, like the labor stuff isn't movement labor here. It's like all David Rolfe, like labor policy shit. Mostly it's like, you know, like, uh, that shit that happened with the driver's union and the, in the, in the teamsters or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, that's, you know, that's the kind of portable benefits, like that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Democrats are all corporate Democrats in the state legislature, which has mm-hmm. an outsized role in, um, uh, in local politics. Politics, obviously, because of its preemption powers, like it's just you know, the, it's a buy. It's you, you have to buy into a conservative framework to even believe that this place is 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 lefty in the first place. And so the fact that these people get to um, they can cash in on that basically and present themselves as, as aggrieved minorities, you know, when in fact they're actually just standard centrist reactionary centrists, or you know, um, who are um, saying popular things. Yeah, if you if you're looking around at the exciting new opportunities in like the canceled rights movement and you're thinking, "Hey, I'm a I'm a a dumb jerk off uh who was working in Seattle, the, you know, epicenter of uh for a lot of minds in America, the epicenter of like Antifa, BLM, like socialist chaos." Uh that's a good narrative. It's a it's like an obvious narrative of like, you know, they they forced me out uh, the woke mob came for me, of course, here in Seattle, this place you only know of from uh, like, you know, uh, wartime footage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many? That was the fucking one of the. Do we have we introduced their little their union drive uh, whenever they got together? <laughs> Our no, Hoffman not, brought together their no, the crew. I, I will, though. Journalism on the streets of America. What are journalists facing in the field today? Is it still possible? To have unbiased reporting, what does the future of journalism look like? I'm Ari Hoffman. You can catch my show every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. With that, I'd like to introduce our panelists for the evening, starting with Andy No. Andy No, who wrote the book Unmasked, all about Antifa and their attempts to pretty much overthrow democracy here in the United States. Rich, you and I both had the displeasure of watching, you know, one of our other characters, not never really canceled, um, only only on the come up, uh, Ari Hoffman, one of our favorite guys. Um, I'd like to see bland to be canceled. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's of a tier of of um, right wing grifter in this town uh, that is yeah does not have the sort of intellectual power or charisma of like the people we've been talking about even <laughs> but he was among um the uh the small business heroes who stood up and took a stand during the uh head tax fight uh and you know said i this is going to hurt me and my bouncy house business um, just, I'm just a mom and pop bouncy house landlord and, you know, uh, this is gonna, this is gonna affect me. And he stood up with other, uh, local luminaries. On the one hand, you have, uh, the, the one with the academic and civic and liberal credentials, uh, Sarah Nelson of Fremont Brewing, who is now on the city council. And on the other hand, one of the goofiest dullest men who have ever stepped in front of a microphone or a camera and that's one of our favorites Saul Spady grandson <laughs> of the fe- founder oh of God. Dick's Burgers, Burgers who, just to take a little uh, you know 
uh, one of our patented little victory laps here. We called when Saul Spady, you know, wrote like, you know, was interviewed and and wrote like an editorial something or had it ghost written for him by a child. I don't know. Um, he he parlayed that somehow um, by saying like, oh, you know, Dick's Burgers, the thing I just inherited because I killed my grandfather last week. Uh <laughs> Allegedly, um, <laughs> that's going to be oh, the head tax is going to just plow us into the ground. You'll never be able to eat a burger in this town again. He parlayed that into uh, a radio spot on Cairo, I think. And mm-hmm. and we listened and we said at the time, this this guy is a dud. He has nothing to say. Moron, negative black hole of charisma, like listening to like a farm animal try to like read a children's book. But he would have he would have Ari Hoffman on. And we said at the time, Ari Hoffman has twice, twice the intelligence and twice the charisma of Saul Spady. Saul Spady's going to lose his show. <laughs> Ari Hoffman's going to get one. And it has, it came to pass. So okay. I just want to, you know, pat ourselves on the back for that. So this, <laughs> this, this, w- this week or last week or something, um, Ari had yeah a panel with, uh, such luminaries as the aforementioned Brandy Cruz, formerly of uh, Q13, the Fox affiliate locally, who, you know, a few months ago went through a uh, self-cancellation, self-firing, uh, I can't I, I can't in good conscience do corporate journalism anymore. Uh, I'm going to do my own whatever Patreon blog or something. I mean, but the thing is, is that like Ari Hoffman to me is kind of like, Steve-O when he was like uh, doing drugs and you know he in like in the sense that he was trying to get arrested for clout Steve-O like he would like go up to the cops and he would be like oh man you saw the coke on me oh shit man and, like but the cops would never arrest him and like that's already trying to get cancelled like they, 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 you know the cancel the can- the woke mob is looking at him like come on man like nah I know that's nah, we're thing. not it's he, not worth it dude we're not gonna we're not gonna cancel you he's like i mean you know he he didn't get canceled from anything he just got a a uh a radio spot out of it and he said he says in this uh this show that they did uh yeah man i should have been doing this years ago i should have dropped that bouncy house stuff like years ago i should have been on the <laughs> i should have been on, on the air man um <laughs> But also with uh, Jonathan Cho, who we've been talking about, and everybody's favorite, Andy No. Uh, All the way up from Portland. Uh, now, UK, maybe. He gets, he's like on a permanent does he have speaking an tour. Now? He, Is he, yeah, yeah, he does he a little bit. Is he an accent guy? Does he yeah. do an accent? He has oh, a little a faint British accent now, I think. Um, I hate he's it. on like some kind of permanent speaking tour or something, or he's like doing journalism around the world. I he's, don't know. No, he's in, he, he is a, uh, intellectual thinker and truth teller in exile <laughs> yes yes he's an expatriate <laughs> um okay so yeah so ari had this group on to talk about such subjects as bias in journalism is it possible to is there unbiased journalism is it possible to do unbiased journalism should we even bother you know getting canceled getting attacked by the left well, total lack of solidarity among journalists uh, when we whine about being yelled at, uh, stuff like that. Can we separate the art from the artist? <laughs> Randy Cruz, host of the Undivided podcast, a local Seattle celebrity 
whose reporting can now be seen all over the interwebs everywhere else. She has transcended the Seattle media. Thank you so much for joining us, Brandy. Yeah, I'm at least a D-list celebrity or maybe an E-list. I think you're a little higher than me and I consider myself a D-list, so you can get a C-list. You can ah, okay, get that. sounds okay. good. Okay, good. <laughs> he introduces them and like does this awkward bit where he calls uh, Brandy a Seattle celebrity and it's uh, it's creepy. But uh, then they go back and forth and she's like, I may be an E-list. And then he says, well, I used to joke and say I was a D-list. So you're a C. It takes 15 minutes. Oh, for yeah, them to get it's, to it's really it's just just stroking each other off. Or fucking, you know, amazing. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair I, I, I checked Brandy's Patreon to see uh, she still is cowardly hiding what the total you know, take is every month, but she does have over 2,300 subscribers, Whoa. meaning she's making like minimum about 11 grand a month. Oh, she's got <laughs> money. She's she hiding it as a much more because she has like freaks doing like 500 a month. Probably. You know, you know there's a foot tier. Yeah. No, you know there's a $100 a month foot tier. <laughs> I mean, we got one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's what funds us. Yeah, yeah. Be, be dumb not to. Be dumb not to. I mean, so, but, so know, she, was, she, was, she, was, she was sort of, I mean, she wasn't bragging, but she was, you know, she was saying uh, by way of suggesting that going or going independent, as it were, um, was a bit of a risk that she was probably the highest paid broadcast journalist in um, in Seattle in the in the Seattle metro area and was that as a result probably the highest paid journalist in Seattle yeah, <laughs> uh, in the yeah. Seattle region w- w- wouldn't be I mean maybe there'd be some kind of like seniority somebody who's working thirty years or whatever like yeah, or yeah like a, maybe maybe there'd be other people who, who get more than her but I bet she got fucking bank well are we potentially suggesting there might be an ulterior motive to this uh, search for truth by these intrepid journalists. Well, I mean, that's a real question because like you got to ask, like, I mean, she's not wrong. She did walk away from like a real career and a lot of money. And I get her framing of it as, and she talks about this on, on this Ari Hoffman show is like, yeah, like you said, like she was making a lot of money, but she, she walked away because she couldn't, uh, she she just didn't feel right about doing corporate journalism, and like she wasn't allowed to speak the truth. Uh, it was biased. She wasn't allowed to talk about things in the way she wants anymore. Is it about like finding like okay, I've topped out here in my career. I'm not, you know, having been in one market and topped out, and like sent the feelers around and gotten word back. You're not going to get called up to a national broadcaster is it like seeing it was it just seeing independent media right-wing independent right-wing media making money and thinking like i can do better on my own like i mean what do you think really motivates this Rich? i don't know yeah that's a good question I, I i don't i i think she said that she wrote something when she first started the the, the patreon or maybe she did some kind of bit uh explaining the move um if so i i didn't watch that so i don't know directly what she said i mean i know in jonathan cho's case like you know as i reported uh he had been talking about wanting to get out of his contract for a while and sinclair does have these um uh notoriously insane punitive contracts where you um if you quit before your date or leave before um the contract is up you end up having to pay them a bunch of money um there's you know 
these corporate mandates that you know come down. Um, Como of the four broadcasting uh, channels, Como has the widest reach, and so they have the most like ability to underpay you and undercut you and say like you know do do it because you know if you go anywhere else you'll be talking to mm-hmm. fewer people and you'll have less of a, a a way to rock it up you know to whatever mothership. So I mean there is corporate pressure there. There are I mean it, I think it's probably more of a labor story than it is like a ideological exit story, uh, just about the, the conditions in broadcast, um, journalism and the pressures that the industry is, is facing. I mean, for instance, this switch to, um, uh, like in general, the switch from, um, uh, everyone's all these streaming services, mm-hmm. everyone's cutting the cord is what they call it in an industry, yeah. the cable cord and, and switching to these streaming services. Well, that's the the fees that cable companies pay to local broadcast stations to carry their shit uh, is like half of the income uh, of uh, these broadcast right. stations. So all of this cord cutting is um, obviously is um, uh, depleting um, uh, a revenue stream, a, you know, a pretty healthy revenue stream for these broadcast corporations. So they're trying to squeeze more out of their workers and their broadcast journalists than they ever have before. That means more pressure to do more stories, reach more audiences with less resources. You know, it's the, the same shit that's happening in the print journalism world with the advent of Facebook and um, uh, and Twitter sucking up all the ad revenue uh, and then, you know, corporations coming in and, 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 and buying up all of these uh, newspapers, cutting staff and still trying to put up like paper mache versions of the of the papers that they used to print. That same shit is happening in um, uh, in broadcast journalism. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, at all uh, if uh, and then you could see, I mean, Jonathan Cho left because of this, you know, um, uh, this Proud Boy thing. But four or five people have left left Como recently. Wouldn't be surprised if more people mm. leave soon. Um, in general, the market is like Como and Cairo are at the top in terms of reach. And then it's uh, King Five and then it's Fox News. Fox News is the only one. They have the lowest amount of reach regionally, but they mm-hmm. are the only one who is owned by like a corporation that cares about Fox News because it's owned by Fox News Corp. The rest of them are owned by hedge funds, basically. And so, like, they can pay more. <laughs> so, I, I, uh, and uh, and so people are jumping from Como, like Matt Markovich, I think, uh, jumped from Como to um, to to uh, uh, to to Fox News, and I think got fucking bank uh, or uh, or yeah, not the Eric Heroes guy, but the Mac Markovich guy. So there, there is a a thing happening there, but I don't know. I mean, I think maybe in Jonathan Cho's case, I think it's 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 a, it's a little bit of a, a confluence of uh, of things, um, uh, late labor stuff, and also you know, try, and maybe trying to get canceled. He denies it, obviously, that he's trying to get canceled, and I think that he would fucking love to get a job at Fox news or whatever. Like he would love mm-hmm. to get canceled. I don't know if he thinks he's going to, he's, he's doing a successful job at it. Um, with Brandy, maybe it was just like, I made a bunch of money. I don't want to put up with this corporate shit. I'm pretty sure I can get by doing a Patreon and just like feeding my little babies, my regurgitated uh-huh. you know, stuff. But yeah, I mean, that that's my general take on it. Yeah. Maybe just seeing the writing on the wall aware, like maybe there was, you know, Maybe there was like a pay cut coming down the road in the next few years was the feeling, you know, like this wasn't going to last or something, you know, they're they're doing a Carmen best here. 
<laughs> and, uh, <laughs> major I mean, bag alert major bag or alert I, yep. I mean i could see fox news in an attempt to you know because they they've got money but they you know they want more viewership i could see fox news trying to push her to go even farther to the right or something you know in in her commentary she may have left it is possible that she may have left because they wanted her to go more right you know that she that she that she wanted to go. I don't know. You know, like I just like that. That could be a fucking thing. I you know, I really have no idea. I'd have to I'd have to talk to her. But um, yeah. Randy it is come interesting, on the show. though. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> we, we could be undiv- get undivided attention. Um, like they but, should unionize the four people on that. <laughs> they all have these contracts. You know, they're like sports people like they're like you know uh athletes or whatever so it's it's difficult for them to organize (laughs) but richard it is it is really interesting that you bring up just like kind of the state of broadcast journalism because this just like me on the receiving end i recently had a viral tweet um bafflingly and also not bafflingly um about uh, my whole like landlord situation um and it was like clear that i was in new york too it got like a lot of reach but really like the only like journalists that like immediately hit me up were the broadcast journalists in New York, basically like the Comos and like Kairos of New York were like, Hey, I'm working on a story about this. Like I'd want to talk to you. And I'm like, what more do I have to say? Than what <laughs> I, you know, honestly, <laughs> I'm not like, you know, I'm just a guy, but like, it was so interesting how fast that they pounced on that. Meanwhile, it's not like the Gothamist or like the New York times or like, you know, any like, other publication except for like one major one that just recently did but you know like during the time when it was actually circulating like they were just like thirsty for i think just any story that they saw that was like you know involving new york right and you know it seems like that's just kind of the state of broadcast journalism now is like just like pumping out as much content as possible right like or or maybe that's just like what you heard what's happening yeah i mean you heard andy no in in this uh horrible round table get pretty close to being like you know capitalism is the problem because like (laughs) (laughs) because he sort of like in this mournful way was like look i know the paywall sucks but you really got to do it or else we're not going to be able to get our stuff out you know what i mean like you know it's Mm -hmm. Like, there is a, a recognition that something in the incentive structure and these companies is, uh, you know, forcing me to make decisions as a worker I don't want to make. And I feel like I have no outlet. And it also feels like grossly connected to the two party system that we have. And I just want to do my own independent thing. You know, like, I saw, like you, they're pretty close to joining the DSA, you know, right? but uh, they're just not on the, um, the you know, they, they got, they, you know, they, they don't have the personal story that would, um, that would, that would bring them over to that side. Mm-hmm. But yeah. 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 I mean, obviously they just, they want, you know, they want eyeballs. Well, and because of that, their position, right. And just the world, they make these interesting characters because you could look at like Barry Weiss at the New York Times, who I think did a very similar thing in her self-cancellation. But she was always going to be buttressed by the Heritage Foundation and AEI and stuff, right? But for these local and open guys... Their own uni- canceled university, too. Exactly. <laughs> but for these like local <laughs> losers, like I mean, they are engaging in the world's easiest grift, which is taking money out of your like Facebook grandpa's pocket. But, like, you know... Andy knows not rich doing what he's doing, right? <laughs> you know, and so something about his scumbag lifestyle is turning a gear in his head, but he just can't 
it, you know, <laughs> his own personal politics will allow the realization to get there. Right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. 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 It's because it, a lot of it comes out of grievance. You know, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, if you hear that roundtable, they were talking about like, you know, what's the you know, what, what they're always like these activists. I mean, in Andy knows case, he got his ass beat a couple of times. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. like, you know, there, there's probably legitimate trauma associated with being jumped, you know, by a bunch of people. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, but, and interestingly, and then, they all claim that same trauma. Yeah. They all, yeah, they all yeah. say multiple times, like, yeah, yeah, we've all been assaulted. I was assaulted at the <laughs> chop. And it's like, Andy, Andy knows they're the only one who anyone's ever laid a hand on yeah. who did mm-hmm. get his ass beat twice, at least. Yeah. And they, they all, um, uh, I mean, a lot of the, uh, a lot of it, uh, the whole hour and a half is talking about, yeah, like violence against vi- left wing violence against journalists. And uh, yeah, they all have these vague like insinuations of how they've been assaulted that um, <laughs> were just things that never happened. Hey, you know what? That's that's called journalism solidarity. Mm-hmm. If it goes where we go one, they go all. Right? <laughs> well, I don't know if they got I don't know. But I, I think that th- that was just false. I, I mean, I think that like uh, I don't know if Brandy got hit or touched or whatever, but she did get scared enough to to run off to the to the fire station during that that chop day and if she get, did get hit you know that sucks i condemn that uh but you know like <laughs> i i'll go that far uh but you know uh i think uh you know you shouldn't be running around hitting people but uh i also think that um you know uh Every single journalist on Twitter that day who saw that photo was like, oh, my God, I condemn that. It's like it's, it's the easiest thing to do is to condemn yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And I, the idea that she didn't get like enough journalists to um, <laughs> say that that it was bad that she got chased into a fire station uh, is just is ludicrous. Right. It's all, well, you know, yeah. Let, let me to quote. So uh, just because we're talking about it now, this is Brandy. The press tells on itself. I know Jonathan has been assaulted at riots. Citation needed. Uh, I went, I mean, they talk, when they get into details, they do, they talk about like how they get yelled at and like people mm. get in their face in the face of their camera and their security. And it's like, that's, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, that's not what an assault is. But uh, so I know Jonathan's been assaulted at riots. I went through that whole deal with my crew in, in the chop. Me, you know, which she references other points like, yeah, uh, activists got like angry and chased her out, you know, chased her. And so this is what she's talking about. Nowhere is mentioned like, yes, we were physically hurt here, except, you know, Andy has his stories to tell. I mean, think if they were, they would have said it. And uh, I think we'd all remember. The press tells on itself. And I know Jonathan's been assaulted at, at riots. Um, I went through the whole ordeal with my crew in in CHOP. And, you know, you had politicians in the city, progressives who were blaming me for what happened to my crew. You know, we're just sitting there. They were blaming the fact that I had security as being triggering to the crowd. Uh, and it's like, why do you think I had security in the first place? Because the press has been attacked by anarchists at rallies in Seattle and riots in Seattle for years. Yet when you have you know, right-wingers down in Olympia who pepper spray journalists, there are full-blown articles about it. A really big deal is made about it, as it should. But the same treatment is not given to reporters who are perceived to be right of center when they're attacked. Yet, when you have right-wingers down in Olympia who had pepper-sprayed a journalist, there are full-blown articles written about it. A big deal made about it, as it should be. But the same, <laughs> but the same treatment Don't is, get me wrong. <laughs> 
But this, and I believe her, but the same treatment is not given to reporters who are perceived to be right of center when they're attacked. So right, she's literally comparing are- here a journalist being pepper sprayed and worse. I mean, at the chop, journalists were physically assaulted. They were physically assaulted by cops. Like there's video of this. Yeah. Uh, but does that have to rely on vague insinuation? But the, you can actually watch. Yeah. Yes. But the but what happened to Brandy at the chop was people yelled at her and her crew and gotten her, her their face, prevented them from doing their job and made them leave. And maybe they were scared, but they were not pepper sprayed. As far yeah. as I know, I think she would have mentioned it just now. And I, I feel like I would have remembered. But. Literally that, like that, that disconnect comparing like, yeah, yeah, ju- yeah, the right wingers down there were pepper spraying journalists in the face. But like, you know, someone yelled at me and no one's talking about it, even okay. though I keep whining about it. No one cares. <laughs> it's just not true. Everybody fucking talked about it on Twitter. Yeah. I don't she probably got a line in the Times roundup of whatever fucking oh, happened yeah. that day. And, and, you know, you want to know how I know that Andy no got his ass beat a couple of times. I read about it in like 15 newspapers. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, no, yeah. this shit is out there. Anytime you're complaining that they're not covering it, they're fucking covering it. I mean, and just later on, she'll talk about like the left way, like the, the press being e- going easy on on lefties and not uh-huh. uh, and not mm-hmm. righties. Uh, I don't know if you got the quote lined up there. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's 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 uh, read Let that out. Real here. Quick, Greg. This is Brandy again. Uh, Ari's asking everybody about bias in the media. Um, and they kind of all tie, they, they tie all their issues together here very well. They're, they're good talkers. The biggest problem that I see when it comes to kind of bias in the media, and that is there's different standards for different type of perceived biases. You know, Jonathan Cho, and I'm sure we'll get into his departure from Como. Um, I wrote an article about it after he uh, was departed after he left Como. And, you know, we had uh, reporters in Seattle for 10 years going back to the Occupy protests who were very, very light, went very easy on left wing rioters. And that wasn't considered bias. And then Jonathan Cho goes down and, you know, goes kind of light on the Proud Boys. And that's, you know, worthy of firing. And that's worthy of the mob getting angry. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just a couple, a couple of things. Uh, the, the press being easy on Chop and Olympia or whatever. Okay, King Five was embedded with the Seattle police when they swept, swept Chop. Okay, they yeah. were and they got special yeah. access. They did the you know one of their their the guy who does an investigation once a quarter did like an unmasking Antifa thing. The Seattle Times wrote, wrote about every arrest and every broken window that happened from you know May twenty nine to. You know, November or whatever of, of later that year. Uh, how many times did we see the fucking car burning, you know, uh, just as random kind of back yep. for the cop car burning as random back footage, whatever we're talking about, Black Lives Matter protests in general. Every single fucking thing they did, like that, and the yep. anti-fascists did, you know, it was covered, or that, and the, the protesters did. The other thing is, is that, you know, in May and June, but before it became just like ENDD and like 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 that crew uh, walking around at night and smashing mm-hmm. like uh, a Starbucks windows and shit. Um, the there there is you know a difference between uh, a neighborhood that had just been gassed by the police squaring up against its own yeah for days. Um, squaring up against its own precinct and protesting the cops that gassed them. 
and an organized violent militia of Proud Boys who <laughs> are marauding around downtown looking to start a fight with anybody wearing, you know, uh, two black pieces of clothing at once. You know, like, but, they're, no. they're, they're, it, it is, first of all, not true what they're saying about the media bias going I mean, light. Seattle's on the, an international poster city for uh, left-wing chaos and destruction. Right, yeah, no. Right. It's so, so it's 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 false what she's saying as she's describing the, the coverage. It's also a false equivalence to suggest that Black Lives Matter protests in the neighborhood protesting the police precinct are the same as, you know, white nationalists. And also ideologically, if we want to go there, I just do, you know, the Proud Boys are worse. Than, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the fascists are the bad, bad guys. guys. So, no. like, this is so, they're the villains of the story. I, 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 I'm sorry, but like you know, it, it, I'm not as a reporter. I'll write down what happened or whatever. But like you know, if we're talking about who I want to win, uh, I, yeah. I would rather the fucking fascists lose. Oh, and by the way, there is a direct connection between the Proud Boys, various right wing militias, and people who were literally the president at the time. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. and uh. the you know, these people are core. Like, this is not fringe. This is the whole like brandish whole shtick, which is what's so raw. She's like, the fringes are bad. The right fringe and the left fringe. It's like no. The right fringe you're discussing is the center of the Republican Party, which has an out, outsized right. and structural uh, advantage in our political system and which will continue to have power going forward. It's not the same. The left in this country <laughs> is uh, has zero power, has no like, real nexus to authority. Even in Seattle, we had a quote unquote progressive city council that included it was a stretch because you had to include Dan Strauss and uh, Andrew Lewis uh, in, the, mm -hmm. in that group if you wanted to get <laughs> to a progressive majority. I had that majority for about four months in the pandemic hit and everything went to fucking hell. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get a decent uh, policy out of anybody edgewise. So it's just, you know, it's just an absolute fucking failure to recognize power analysis, to do yeah, any yeah. power analysis at yeah, all facts. when you're considering this shit. You know? Yeah, well, I, Rich, you have just very thoroughly exposed your own bias here. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> again, like just no, no context, no history. And as you say, no power analysis. Yeah. No power analysis. It's fucking anemic. And of course it all maps on. It's like the most, it's like the babiest, like little kid elementary school understanding of ideology. Like, you know, it's, it's only left and right. Their understanding of like what is ideological. It's like, and maybe they'll do like a little, whatever me me for grid authoritarian or you know libertarian, <laughs> they might get that far like i would love to be like hey do you guys think that everyone is equal under the law you know like, <laughs> like, like, like just like, like what do you, do you what do you guys think of that you know it's like no right because rich people can afford lawyers and and uh uh and, and get out of jail like let's talk about cash bail like, they don't have they like their their understanding yeah. of ideology doesn't include anything beyond the two-party system and uh uh in the country you know, in the political system so it's just it's it's re it's really impossible to have a conversation with them because they don't they flatten the world so it's completely 2d they have you know everything they say is is wrong they claim that they're the arbiters of nuance but they just make paper out of everything rather than making it like the 3d world that actually it is which will require a power analysis well, and I, yeah, and I think this like childish worldview is buttressed by this illusion of impartiality, which you so well highlighted in that 
I think somebody like Brandy might say to you, yes, saying that somebody who's opposed to racism and somebody who thinks racism is great and wants more of it, those are just two equal sides that have to be covered equally. And she would probably even argue that's being an unbiased journalist as opposed to the reality, which is by equating those two things as if they are equal goods, is essentially <laughs> siding with racism, right? Like that is a political position. Just because it's the political position of the majority of Americans doesn't mean that it's not a political position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, yeah. if your corporate overlord is making you ask a Republican about a CRT or whatever, you can go ahead and just write the paragraph about how it's bullshit afterwards. Like, you know, like the, but, you know, mm-hmm. even objective journalists have figured out this winking thing where you can just say a bunch of facts after the both sides part and then frame the story for your reader uh, to, you know, to give them the information that they need. I would understand if uh, broadcast journalists haven't quite gotten there. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, they, they went to both sides, this idea of, uh, you know, left-wing violence, the rioters, right, and right-wing violence or whatever, these Proud Boys. It's very interesting. I'm going to guess that Ari's roundtable, uh, the fact that the latest mass shooter in Portland was a big fan of Andy Nose didn't come up. Or the fact that Andy Doe was on video hanging out with the Proud Boys right before they raided a fucking bar in Portland, which then led to a death like the next day. I'm a venture guess. None of that came up as an important maybe impediment to his, I don't know, credentials as a journalist. (laughs) No, you know what else didn't come up Uh, in the town that Brandy Cruz and Jonathan Cho were reporting in at the time it happened? They could have been there to witness and understand and see maybe if they were objective journalists and weren't so like polluted by their own like childlike ideological framing of things that all those left wing riots they're talking about uh, were started by the cops. Uh, You and I were there on day one, Brian. We watched them just start a riot for no reason and go ape shit on people coming to a rally that the police invited people to told them to bring their families and then just started fucking shooting bombs and, and clubbing people. And, I, yeah, and that I mean, went that's... on again and again, you know, up on Capitol Hill. I was going to say yeah. riots. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, Andy, no, did get his ass beat. That was bad. So were the cops just kind of casually tossing bombs at Renee Rackety, the reporter for gay yeah. news, you know, so yeah. was the cop, whenever he biked up to me, told me to get the hell out of here and, and, and slap my phone out of my hand uh, onto the ground in an attempt to break it and drive off during the uh, Labor Day, uh, you know, uh, shenanigans uh, down there at uh, Spog HQ. Journalists or the NBC broadcast journalists who got a fucking spray, you know, uh, tear gas. But of course, these people are like it goes back to the, the core of what they who they believe they're serving as journalists. As yeah. a journalist, I think that I'm serving my readers by holding the cops accountable. Yes, I think fucking Antifa is annoying, by the way, if you want that on record. I know, I, yes, they blocked my camera too, and I told them to fuck off or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, and I got mad at them, and I think that it's dumb when they do that. Like, I, and, I, and I'm not particularly sympathetic to their bullshit, frankly. Uh, but, you know, I will, you know, I, I will say I'm not there to cover their bullshit. I'm there to cover the person whose paycheck I'm paying that night, which is the fucking yeah. cops. Brandy Cruz who has power. and Andy No, right, yeah, who has power and a license to kill. None of these fucking people, the protesters, can shoot the cops without going to jail for it. The, any of the cops can shoot any of the protesters and 
come back after a couple of days, you know, like yeah, they're probably yeah. st- it's still get a job and they're not, yeah, no way they're going to fucking jail for that shit, you know, unless, you know, it, it was, it was really bad. So like, just again, the, the, it's about who you serve. It's about what your power analysis is. And if you're thinking you're there to hold the protesters accountable, then, you know, that's the one and, and not to hold the cops accountable. And this is the other thing about like, you know, their, their ideology, the government is not, the police and the military to these people, right? It, the the government stopped. There's like a force field around those mm-hmm. two uh, the, mm-hmm. those agencies, right? I mean, it's it's, uh, it's an obvious thing to say, but they don't think that they're doing accountability reporting when they're um uh they just they don't they don't see them as part of, of the government, and so um uh and yeah, and so they're just bankrupt quasi libertarians or whatever. But this is all to say that yeah, I'm there to cover the cops, not the Antifa bullshit. And I'm not uh and, and they're there to cover Antifa bullshit and not the cops, even though they want to claim that they're, you know, accountability people or whatever. So And and that's the message that got out, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean the stranger has a large readership, but it's not uh it's not putting pieces up on you know it's not getting um syndicated in the New York Times or the Washington Post and it's not uh its digital content isn't being replayed on Fox or ABC NBC every night uh CNN um the stuff that is is the is these people these you know people who see their job as serving you know real estate and the police um appealing to those uh, sub- white suburban audiences who come at it with that frame. And, you know, part of what we've been talking about here, this whole, this idea of like finding these people, like finding their, their right wing grift. Um, part of why it works is because there's fucking money in it. Like uh, there's money pouring in. It's, you know, a lot of, maybe a lot of Brandy's, uh, you know, Patreon subscribers at this point are like your, your old Fox news grandpas on Facebook, you know, but there's also just like, uh there's big corporate and think tank and right-wing uh philanthropist money like ready to support these voices in tons of ways whether that's news corp or whether that's you know you know you mentioned the think tanks brian heritage foundation aei etc um to that end i just want to read what i think is a really funny uh quote here from andy no um describing uh how he got into the business uh, and in, in again, in the context of this whole conversation about biased against, um, you know, and he, he's open about on the talk here about like, you know, kind of at this point, you know, sort of reluctantly, but now more comfortably accepting the label of, of conservative journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says, after, after I left the student paper uh, in Portland, I, I was still a student then. I did column writing. I was really lucky then that some larger publications were willing to give me a chance when they really <laughs> didn't know who I was. And and no, and this is key here. And nobody really cared to hear the commentary or local reporting of some student in Portland. That was kind of how I got my start. So he's he's describing in that, He's like, yeah, no one wanted, I was just uh, a student, you know, I'd written for a student paper and no, and he's complaining. And before they, you know, that, that was the, the, the money quote there, but he's complaining about like, yeah, you know, it's, it was hard to get like a voice out there. It's hard to get into the, the, the club of establishment journalism. If you don't go to the, the right journalism school and you don't, you're not, you know, you don't have connections to the right big establishment 
outlets like it's hard to get into that club and and then he's like yeah man I, I i got really lucky because no one wanted to read my writing except some editors at some big national publications <laughs> when i was 22 yeah, yeah it's like that that is like <laughs> That, that's a whole like American thing. Like anyone who has any kind of like success in America, like it somehow sees himself as a victim, you know, like yes. you have to be an underdog. It's like some morph of the underdog narrative. Like, did you really make it if you didn't go through mm -hmm. strife and struggle the entire time? And even if you just went through a little strife, wasn't it maybe the worst that anybody else has ever had to go through yeah. in their entire <laughs> life? I mean, Brady Cruz is the same narrative. She said, yeah. I had a horrible home life, you know, yes. and this and my only reference and my only refuge was the the broadcast news time. So I wanted to be, I became a broadcast journalist. It <laughs> is a horrible home life. Yeah. <laughs> to like to pause it like in the same sentence about the same period going like no no trust me i really had no in no one wanted to publish my work i i it was hard for me to get a job except that i did you know? yeah, yeah right out of college at that same moment it's like so that so that other thing isn't true andy like the you just did get jobs immediately you had a career from national publications immediately and i wonder why that is you know yeah yeah when he was a graphic designer or something yeah, like he wasn't yeah. a writer mm -hmm. it took him a minute you know to um uh to get into the conservative writing grift but, but he yeah. wanted to write about certain subjects from a certain point of view and that can get you plucked out of fucking nowhere because there's an entire you know conservative mach media machine looking for these people because they need they just just needs to be in the air at all the time all the time and maybe they'll stumble on the next Ayn Rand you know like uh, who knows no. this one churn the chum basically yeah yeah well and it's it's kind of I don't know yeah but it's it's because it's very popular people like to read yes. it you're natural you know I grew up in Belton Missouri I I was basically every instinct I had was conservative you know I, I my um, my mom was a Jehovah's Witness so she didn't vote and never talked to politics but was basically liberal and you know my dad was a liberal talked to politics he's like a bill clinton liberal so you know i grew up in a kind of a, a slightly you know blue blue bubble and was able to to chat in politics but all of my friends were basically believe what brandy cruz believes <laughs> like, like yeah. this, this, you know during the the the, the bush two era uh mm -hmm. and uh and and that was that was yeah that was um uh, that was that was life growing up, but it's a real it is a real shame uh, uh, that um, that the um, that the conservative media has been successful, especially in in the rural um, uh, areas, and that there hasn't been you know uh, a big kind of populist left um, uh, uh, outlets that are, are are particularly successful in there because there's a lot of there was a lot of opportunity, I think. Um, um, at least, at least maybe before um, uh, 9-11 or whatever. I, I'm borrowing a, a joke from from that that liberal redneck guy, Trey, Trey Crowder or whatever. He's a little bit of an indivisible uh, mom uh, uh, humorist. Um, but he did say something that rang true to me as somebody who grew up in Belton, which was like uh, people in the country – do not like the cops. Like, so, it, like, so, like, growing up in Belton, Missouri, 
nobody was blue lives mattering anything about the cops. Like the cops are the people who like pulled you over for drunk driving and like, you know, hit on your mom and it fucking sucked. And you hate every, all of the, like they wouldn't let you shoot your guns at small animals in your backyards. Like they were the cops suck, you know, to, to the rural area. But then I think, to 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 people in rural areas, but then I think nine eleven turned every cop into like a military hero or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, and every firefighter into a into a savior, and that just became a whole culture, and that got exploited by conservative media, which is partly why um, they, they they get to be very popular now. But uh, yeah, that's that's that was just a, lo- a long tangent about uh, about this hobby horse that I keep uh, keep hopping back on, which is that <laughs> these people are aggrieved and they think they're in the minority opinion, but they're actually in the majority. Yeah. Well, I mean like the agreement, I think like you said, there's money splashing around conservative media so much because there's always value for capital in basically giving people a way to make sense of declining, declining, life under capitalism without actually challenging capital, right? Giving people that out to be like, oh, like everything's kind of crumbling around me and oh, it's the it's the Antifas or it's the woke mob or it's, you know, whatever type of grievance it is, the homeless, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's the Seattle City Council. Uh it's like, you know, what whatever um yeah, it's is the it's the skateboarders, it's whatever it is. It, It it Anything that's not um, landlords, it's not like rent seekers or capital. It's like that there's always going to be money in that because, you know, um, that the place where it's coming from uh, and why people might get so riled up or why we could even make sense of if we don't have a real sophisticated like view on why homelessness is a problem. Uh, you know, there's a lot of angles to exploit that at. And, you know, it's people reacting to reality, which is, I mean, like conditions are declining overall for a lot of people. And, you know, that that gives rise to some scary alternatives if, um, you know, uh, conservatives control that narrative on why things are declining. Uh, we've seen that before. And, uh, you know, uh, it's usually pinned on Either, you know, I mean, that's why anti-Semitic tropes was such a, a huge thing. It still are a huge thing, right? It was making sense of like, you know, like why there was such a huge wealth disparity in the 1920s, um, which, you know, ultimately led to, um, you know, the rise of fascism for uh, reasons. So I don't know. I did that. That's like, to me, that's like, obviously, I think why there's like so much money splashing around Um and that, and there never wouldn't be like the next Iron Rand could mm-hmm. be around the corner, but you know, at the end of the day, it's always good to have that, you know, release valve for um, redirecting anger um, towards what's actually, you know, um, driving these conditions to decline too. Mm-hmm. I love. I think that's true, and especially in a national context. But I, what I appreciated about the Jonathan Tro firing is that it, it took the Proud Boys thing uh, to 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 push it over the edge. Like they were they were issuing warnings you know about this whole uh homelessness uh cover you know coverage stuff mm-hmm. but uh the second that you know you're in a media market that's dominated by liberals even the idiots at uh fucking you know sinclair uh, aren't going to be dumb enough you know to to keep the proud boy guy <laughs> yeah. on yeah, but yeah. they were more than happy more than happy to exploit him and to uh, try to get him to post more you know off off hours or maybe he really wanted to do it because he was getting you know i i don't know it's probably a combo of both but um uh 
liberals in Seattle hate the homeless and they hate poor people. But if, you know, if you start being soft on the proud boys, that's when you're losing market share, baby. And that's that's, mm-hmm. a, that's when you can't, <laughs> that's when you got to make it on your own in the wild west. Jeez, you got um. you to yeah, start uh, get, trying to get more uh, audience uh, east of the mountains after that shit, you know. Uh, yeah. So like, that's, that's it's time to get principled at the yeah. station. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, speaking of dark paths, right? Uh, Brandy mm. this last week decided to, to take this where I feel like we all know this is going, right? Which is oh no, uh, Seattle Times, right? They posted this, you know, tweet, right, referencing an article that uh, statistics show disproportionately high numbers of people of color have been shot by Seattle officers in recent years, and that Black people are subjected to serious force at excessive rates. And then Brandy decides, like a good reporter, good reporters always ask questions, isn't that right? <laughs> That's right, Rich. Right? That's right. Reporters ask questions. Right. So she asks. When examining racial disparities in policing, the media never includes whether there are racial disparities and who commits crime. Why? I welcome any rational arguments as to why that's not deemed relevant. She didn't respond to any arguments that I saw, so I don't. I don't rational know. We, is we, doing a lot of work there. Well, I don't think we met the the high bar of rational uh, in the replies. Yeah, uh, she's like, none of these are responses. rational. I don't agree with them. Look, she's asking a question and. You know, the question, I'm now asking it myself. Why have I never seen media coverage in America about uh, crimes committed by black Americans? Like, Yeah, uh, I mean, look, I, I know you're being, there was that one uh, ongoing Breitbart column that was just uh-huh. black on black crime. That black on black like, crime was like a literal like vertical in yeah. profession before she was just started asking that question but uh but she wants uh, that cop she wants she wants the seattle times to offer up uh the numbers on uh the racial disparities in crime committed alongside this article you know or or embedded within this article about uh new statistics coming out that show yeah spd still is a racist uh law enforcement organization yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, there was a new new um, new report from the um, the uh, the monitor, the consent decree, you know, found that um, uh, turns out that even after 10, 11 years of uh, federal oversight, the Seattle Police Department is still um, uh, racially profiling people during racially profiling people during Terry Terry stops, and we know that because uh, in that very report it says when you check the white people, they actually have more stuff on them uh, than than the, than the black people do. So they, it turns out that the white people are committing crimes at higher rates. Yeah, you know, the other time you hear this uh, argument, it's always with with weed, and there's that one survey that people point to about how you know black people and, and white people report uh, doing drugs at the same rates, but black people get picked up for it um, uh, more often than than white people. So there's that. But you know, other than these kinds of uh in, in, i mean i actually i don't know i haven't read you know read a lot of the all of the literature on um uh, on crime um uh but the, the the ones that i have read suggests that black people don't inherently uh have uh, <laughs> a predisposition uh, to, to crime and uh so that that that's just you know that, that's that's baseline uh and uh, to say otherwise um is to invite and court profit-making 
controversy uh and to you know just to do the obvious just ask questions bullshit you can tell by the way that she wrote it that she knew like a, a regular journalist wouldn't just ask the question without having tried to answer it you know yes, like, yes. You, your <laughs> wait, job wait, this isn't how journalism works it's not to just put questions on twitter and then re- re- you know report the responses a loaded question that assumes you're going to get emotional only and not like facts you know like just uh. you know cold cold facts and response right yeah exactly if you're asking that question and you're a journalist you have the capability and in fact it's your job and your duty to go try to find the answer you know right. if you found shit you know uh the actual data that suggested otherwise and present that and say why is nobody talking about this i doubt that anybody is not talking about it but if you found it because it was published and people <laughs> looked at it, you know. So I, it's just, it just, yeah. it was. I think it was said on 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 Twitter by by a couple people, but low bar, uh, racist shit. It's making me think that the fucking Patreon thing isn't working out as much as the Fox News thing was. It's absolutely despicable. Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought immediately. It was like, okay, she, she's ratcheting up. She's yeah. like, I need to appeal more to a certain audience, you know. Yeah, but you hear. I mean, people. It's again. It's a popular thing to say. I, I my, my, yeah. my. One of my family members, a lawyer, you know, <laughs> makes makes mm-hmm. plenty of money. Said the same shit to me. You know, that it does just does not believe yeah. the disproportionality numbers. You know, like just doesn't get how the system works. Uh, even even when you're talking about even those statistics, you know, when you're talking about uh, drug offenses. Uh, where you can see there isn't um, a disparity there. There's just more, there's over-policing. You know, that's like a, a, a bare minimum of parsing that's gone on to sort of disaggregate, to, uncon- to you know, complicate uh, maybe the numbers that police departments release um, based on their own, uh, you know, biased policing. The fact that community, poor communities and communities of color are, you know, drastically over-policed. Um, of course, there's a shitload of other ways you can complicate the numbers and the narratives around who's committing crimes. But any, and even in any conversation that this is coming up, um, like around drugs, around violent crime, uh, or, you know, around violence, like, are these uh, narrow silos um, that we like to talk about and frame crime as in America, when the truth is, uh, the people committing most of the crimes in America are rich people, and uh, most of them are white. Uh, because first of all, and, and people in the suburbs—I mean, middle-class white people—because uh, that's who you know. That who, who everything is illegal in America. You're you're committing a crime, you know, at least two or three times a day. Everyone in America, you're just not being policed on it if uh, you're not a poor person or, or a person of color. And if you're rich, you're committing insane amounts of crimes every day. Uh, crimes against humanity, actual crimes on the U.S. books, you know, tax fraud, wage theft, uh, you know, uh, securities fraud. And probably you're hiring people uh, to kill other people, too. So, <laughs> you know, it's just that you're not being caught. Yeah, I will. I will. You know, uh, Godspeed the day when Jonathan Cho is like standing outside of a fucking Domino's or wherever. Like the, the, the next the next place that did like. $500,000 in wage theft that OLS catches and like yeah. de- he's like sitting yeah. there demanding to talk with the manager about who did the fucking wage theft. Yeah. yeah did he do any stories on Pagliacci's? I don't think yeah. so. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that Brandy, you know, it's, more 
it's worth mentioning that every 20 years in American history, going back to the founding of the country, uh, usually Yale University, but Yale or Harvard puts out a book about how you can tell, you know, crime rates by people's skull shapes. Right. You know, <laughs> we get this every 20 we're due years for another one. Every 20 years, it, there's a huge literature painstakingly refuting it. And it's I mean, this is this is the power of conservatism, right, is that you never have to prove anything. All you do is you just say these things because your audience are rich people who control everything. And of course, they believe this. It's extremely convenient for them to believe this. It, all those people I immiserate through my everyday actions, uh, they actually deserve it because they're bad people. You know, not me. I'm a good person. The one who's, you know, be the landlord who is the reason why the homeless population has exploded. Couldn't be me. I'm a good guy. So it must be them. They must be bad guys. And the thing that is gross about people like Brandy Cruz or John of the Chair or whatever is they're the little like, you know, termites that are sneaking about the like, you know, the, the wreckage, <laughs> fucking taking pictures and stuff, trying to like, you know, get just get a little bit, you know, like just trying to profit <laughs> off of this, like, you know, sort of system of misery. And it's I mean, honestly, fuck them. It's disgusting. So it's not in conclusion. That's why I don't care that Andy no got beat up, I guess. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's fucking gross. It's not profitable to say, look, we've got two fancy schmancy neoliberal reports from McKinsey that say we need to raise a billion dollars per year on top of what we're mm -hmm. spending on homelessness to address the problem. Wake me up when you know, <laughs> when they do that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we, we <laughs> that's the we know the answer, right, to the question. Mm -hmm. We know what we have to do. Uh, we know what the fancy smart people say. That should be at the bottom of every one of these fucking reports. But has Jonathan Cho mentioned in McKinsey report one time? Has Brandon McCruz? Maybe maybe. I haven't I haven't watched everything that they've done. I highly doubt it because they're not that's not their that's not what their medium <laughs> prizes that's not what they you know that's not their it's not thing. their beat yeah well i mean it is it's it's both of their beats they're the cry well, they're you know well, they're I mean, almost as beat but it's criticizing not, powerful people their angle their yeah, yeah yeah their angle yeah yeah it's yeah. A, yeah and it's just so it's so boring and I mean, you talk like you know newspapers are burning through homelessness reporters why because the answer is housing right and so it's just like i don't know how many times you could say like yeah well they're trying a different thing that's not housing today <laughs> and it looks like it's not working, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't remember uh, Brandy Cruz or Jonathan Cho uh, talking about the uh, how often jails exit people into housing and how often, they, you know, like <laughs> exit homeless people into housing. They just don't do it. Like if they were intellectually concerned at all after day two, you would these questions would come up. But you're right; they don't have the financial incentive to do it. They don't have the personal incentive yeah. to do it. They're working through their own personal grievance and their shitheads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. In addition, in addition. <laughs> well, maybe this is a good place to wrap it up then. Uh, so, I I think uh, in in your article on Jonathan Cho, I, I thought you had this this excellent little piece that maybe in wrapping up, I just ask you to to uh, expound on a bit, where you talk about how Jonathan. He's trying to make this argument and this sort of mea culpa about what happened to him, uh, about all the people that are against him, right? So Jonathan Cho's argument is a bizarre string of non sequiturs. For starters, the actions of anti-fascist protesters have no bearing on the journalistic value of Cho's coverage of the Proud Boys on Saturday. Moreover, the relevant actor applying the standard in this situation is Como. Como did not take issue with the public response to Cho's 2020 protest coverage, but the station did apparently take issue with the public response to his recent Proud Boy coverage. 
So they thought he did a good job hyperventilating about Antifa property damage, but they thought he did a bad job when he failed to contextualize the Proud Boys as a terrorist hate group. I see no double standard. Of course, the argument he was trying to make was the one about people on Twitter and even people in the mainstream media. Handling Black Lives Matter protests with kids' gloves, but bringing down the wrath of cancel culture on Trumpy far-right protesters. But he didn't quite get there, and I won't waste any more time dismissing it in a country where Kyle Rittenhouse is out here collecting sponsorship deals. And I guess, given that, and this, this juxtaposition, right, about, you know... Kyle Rittenhouse versus, you know, these sort of Black Lives Matter protesters that we, you know, are never going to hear the end of in local media, despite, you know, Brandy's complaining and Jonathan's complaining to the contrary. What is the future of, uh, you know, moving from mainstream media to right wing grift? And, um, you know, uh, are we ever going to be rid of these people? <laughs> I think I think it's uh you know I think that all of the the people you listed earlier in the show provide one of several pathways that are not new but well worn and so I think that they'll get um um it'll it'll continue happening and it'll continue happening um I don't know it will, it'll it'll probably increase so long as the answer to the what's wrong with society is polarization abstractly and not um a st- structurally empowered uh, authoritarian white ring movement that has been taking over the country uh, politically and financially over the course of the last 40 years like so until you know until that's meaningfully uh, addressed i think you'll probably like as you mentioned earlier um uh Brian that they'll they'll they'll, they'll just keep getting that uh or in in Munya, that you'll know, just keep getting that They'll, they'll, that gravy train's only going to get fatter, <laughs> and so they'll keep riding it all the way there. You know, uh, uh, they'll they'll get theirs. You know, and well, if you, you tell me the name of the game, <laughs> boy, well, you, you heard it here first. Gravy train. Rich Smith of the Stranger, speaking for the Stranger, says he'll meet you on the barricades. Revolution starts tomorrow. Uh, let, 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 let me be clear about my critique of Antifa earlier. I uh, I just don't think they, you know, it wasn't enough. You know, I thought if mm-hmm. we were going to do some revolution, we're going to do we're going to do a little bit more. You know, uh, than, what, <laughs> than what we saw out of this crew. You know, nah, we, yeah. you know, they like went around everybody's fucking house and you know they did a little, mm-hmm. little graffiti and yelled at them and asked them for some policy changes or whatever. This is not revolutionary shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, I know that that was among the, uh, uh, the issues that were discussed in the in the circles uh, afterwards. But, you know, uh, I'll just say that that was part of my critique. It's like, you know, if we're going to take down capitalism. Uh, we're going to need a little bit more than a, a broken a Starbucks window. Well, it's easy enough to see that uh, there were not actually any gains out of 2020. Um, oh, my God. So I think that's like a big lesson to really think about is that there were, in fact, there are I mean, aside revisions. from defunding all police departments around the country that yeah. happened, obviously. Oh yeah. I mean, How I'm glad you? now that we're refunding the police uh-huh, yeah. in 2022. Yeah. Uh, brutal. Well, uh, Rich, thank you for coming on thank again. Thank you so much, Rich. Uh, awesome. Hanging out. Hanging with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me go along on, um, on some of these questions. So. Yeah, of yeah. Course. yeah, no problem. And uh, for those of you who want to give money to left wing grifters, uh, join our Patreon. All right. 
Five bucks a month. The cost of things. I don't know. I never leave the house anymore. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is it even a market price of a Starbucks latte anymore? Uh, like, have we checked inflation these days? Uh, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not with all those dang unions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, pivoting, you know, guys, prices I'm are jacking profit, up. Profit. <laughs> pivoting towards profit. I can't even buy a latte <laughs> in Capitol Hill anymore. But yeah, join our Patreon. Get a free episode or an extra episode every week. And uh, there's lots of back catalog and all that sort of exciting stuff. And uh, and, and read the stranger. Ha- yeah, read the stranger. It's great. Yeah, um, rich in the stranger. Lots of great. Only uh, good reporting. Really thing in Seattle. The two only good things in Seattle. <laughs> the only two Mechanical good media freak. properties. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the stranger. Uh, there's like a yachting magazine that I think has some good stuff in it, guys. But um, uh, also, now that Munia's housed again, I uh, look forward to ending the myth, coming back again yes. soon. All right. So we were canceled for housing or lack thereof. Uh, we'll be back. We were evicted from the right Evicted for truth. But we'll be back. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> Also, Doug Doug Trump, fess up for your crime. Fess up for your your hammer crime, Doug Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Admit it. Admit it to the cops that you did the hammer thing. That's right. Come clean. Come clean. All right. That's good advice for all of our listeners. Decency, sir. Come clean about all your crimes on Twitter at midnight on Wednesday. We're all going to come clean for our crimes. When the the gavel comes down in the council chamber and they ban cars from... uh, the Pike from Pike Place, um, you know, his If I Did It article will drop <laughs> on the air. <laughs> 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 All right, we're having too much fun. All right, bye. Everybody. Good night. <laughs> I'll tell you guys a funny story. So I'm an Orthodox Jew, but my uncle makes me look like I'm not observant at all. I mean, he's got he's got the long beard and he looks like me, only like Jewish Santa Claus kind of look. And he like doesn't have a cell phone, not a smartphone, not a computer, nothing like that. He reads a Yiddish newspaper. Yiddish is a dead Nobody really reads Yiddish newspapers anymore. And that's where, and he says, are you OK? And I said, why wouldn't I be OK? And he goes, your whole city is taken over by armed terrorists. And I like that. That was his understanding of what was going on. Of course, that got my grandma going, and it was a whole, it was a whole thing there. But yeah, people were just beside themselves. It's something like. This.